0: God is at work through his local church and through the teaching of his word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Carney E. Free. Here's Pastor Adrian Boykin. I want to give you a little diagram that's been beneficial for me as I think about leadership in the church and I think about what our church is really strong in and a number of different things that people come to church for and sometimes leave church for as well, but like these foundational things that bond us together as a church no matter what. So stick with me for just a little bit of teaching before we jump directly into God's name. I am not the greatest artist, so please humor me. Uh, Imagine here you have this little two-story, simple church building, okay? And the upper story of the church is things like this. It's people, okay, I go to church because my people are there. I go to church because people I like, people I identify with, who are similar to me, are there. So I like this place. It has good parking. Um, I, I like the paint on the walls. It's a nice auditorium. I like this place. It's my kind of place, so I go to this church. Or sometimes I go to church because of the pastor, and then um, sometimes I go to church because of programs, so uh, they have my kind of kids' ministry there, or they have my kind of sewing group there, or they have my kind of recovery group there. They have the kind of programs that I'm looking for there. And all of those are good reasons to go to church. And many people go to church for those reasons. Many people stay in a church for those reasons. And many people leave the church for those reasons too. And sometimes people leave the church because they say, well, my people were there, but my people, they've kind of died off. Or some of my people have left, and so I'm thinking about leaving too. Or, uh, you know, the pastor, uh, he doesn't have the kind of personality that I'm looking for. Or uh, the programs, though, that, that I really want, uh, they're not spotlighting them as much as they used to. And, and, and that, that's bothersome to me, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave the church as a result of that. Okay, people come and they stay and oftentimes leave because of these. And all of these matter, but stick with me, they're all kind of upper story. The lower story is what matters more. The lower story is the foundation of the house, Right? The lower story is the foundation of the church. The lower story is what we've been talking about in this message series. The lower story, I'll give you two other words, is Messiah and mission. And so we talk about mission, what we talk about here, our mission is building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. It's this mission to make disciples who make disciples. It's a mission to love God with all we got and then love our neighbors as ourselves. That's our mission and really any Bible teaching church that holds to the authority of the Bible and the lordship of Jesus is more or less gonna have the same mission to see transformation happen and to see disciples being made. Okay, and that binds us together on the lower story. The other thing that binds us together on the lower story is what we've been talking about here in this series. It's God's name. It's the Messiah. It's knowing that we have a God who is indeed a breath of fresh air. Okay, that those people in the church are not full of hot air But our God is a a breath of fresh air, and when I go to church, I go because I believe in this Messiah whose name is strong and good and powerful, and he is unchanging. Okay, that's what we've been talking about throughout throughout the last eight weeks. Interestingly, as you look back to our fall series, which was Citizens of Another Kingdom, we were talking about the mission, weren't we? living a life of mission for the kingdom of God, expanding the kingdom of God in the way we live throughout our Monday through Saturday, that we would recognize that God uses us, the church, to turn what is ugly in this world into what is beautiful, that we would be on mission, living Sermon on the Mount-type lives, being a colony of heaven on earth, being more and more the people of God in how we live. And this is what is strengthening the church. Okay, what do these four things have in common? Anyone? They change. They change. And you know what? They must change. Inevitably, they will change. And none of us really likes that well when they change, but inevitably, these things will change, and every leader who's worth his weight in salt will tell you that these kinds of things do have to change in order for us to get better and better and, may, and reach the mark more and more of the mission that God calls us to. Amen? That's just the nature of leadership. You're always tweaking. Now, what do these things have in common? Somebody. They don't change, do they? They don't change. A way you can think of it is like this these things up here, like pastors come and go, don't they? I I hope not to go for a while but pastors come and go people come and go place comes and go this church has had at least three different locations place comes and goes and programs come and go but what is unchanged is messiah and mission the way you could put it is these are written in sand these are etched in marble these are etched in marble these things down here never change and so I really believe that what we've been talking about here, though, these past eight weeks, and as we wrap up the series today, is vital for us because what we've been talking about is that which is etched in marble the Messiah, the name of God, the one who was and is and always shall be. You can hold on to this when life feels like it's changing and falling apart. Our God does not change. Okay? And you got to hold on to that because your image of God, the way you think about God, will determine how you work your eight to five. It will. It will determine the way you worship and the way you pray. It will determine the way you raise your kids. It will determine the way you view your neighborhood and your place in the neighborhood. It will determine all of that and more. It's that vital. Many people reject God based on a false image of who he is. And so what we've been trying to do over these last eight weeks is begin to correct that false image of who God is with a beautiful portrait that God quotes literally dozens of times through the scriptures of his self-revelation to us that we can hold on to this. This is how God reveals himself in the scriptures. Here's a better portrait for us of how God reveals himself to us in the scripture, that he is Yahweh. He is the self-existent, eternal creator, the great I am. He always will will be, and we can count on it. It's etched in marble. And with that, it's not just that he is compassionate from time to time, it's that his very name is compassionate. Okay? The character of God at base level is compassion. And it's gracious, and it's loving, and it's faithful, and it's slow to anger, and it's just. And it's forgiving. This is God's name. What a beautiful portrait of the God you worship, isn't it? That is our God right there. And so, this morning, as we wrap up, I want to share just a few simple ideas about how we might apply all of this from these last eight weeks to our lives. How we can begin to apply God's name to our lives. Again, please hear me. In no way am I trying to toot my own horn. But I believe this has been a vital sermon series for our church. So much so that I would encourage you to go back to this series from time to time. When you start to wonder, can I trust in the character of God? And all of us wonder that from time to time. And you're not a failure if you wonder that from time to time. You're not a failure as a Christian. There's not something wrong with you. If you're a spiritual seeker today and you don't know the answers and you wonder about the character of God, I would encourage you to go back to this eight-week series and say, oh, I don't know all the answers, but I can rest in that. I can rest in him because his name is etched in marble. The starting point for applying God's name is the choice to worship. Here's the starting point. As you turn to Exodus chapter 34, where we've been throughout this series. We're gonna look at it one more time. The starting point for applying God's name is your decision, your choice to worship. We started this series in Exodus chapter 33 as we looked at this crisis point for Moses and the Hebrew people where the Hebrew people are down at the bottom of the mountain where Moses is getting the Ten Commandments and while they're down at the bottom, bottom of the mountain, they do what is unthinkable. They worship um A calf, a golden calf made from their jewelry that they brought out of Egypt. And God basically says, I'm done with these people. I'm so fed up with these people. They are so stiff necked, so stubborn. They don't remember anything that I've just done for them. I'm done with these people. And Moses falls to his knees, and he intercedes upon God on the basis of his character, and he makes two requests of God. He says, number one, God, would you please relent from the anger that you have against your people? And would you please give us your presence? Because if we don't have your presence, nothing distinguishes us from any other people in all the earth. And this is true for us as well, my friends. If we do not have the presence of the Spirit of God in us, nothing distinguishes us from any other people. Okay, it's not our good looks. It's not our righteous morality. It's not all having the great answers to all the difficult questions. It's the presence of God in us. Second thing that he asked for was, would you please show me your glory? God, I, I just would like to know a little bit more of your goodness. I need more of your glory. I want to know you more like to plumb a little bit more the depths of who you are and god relents he he like he says okay i'm not going to destroy these hebrews who have been so rebellious i'm going to stay with them and uh and you come up on the mountainside and though you broke the first set of stone tablets i'm going to give you another set and so uh, we pick it up there exodus 34 verse 1 the lord said to moses Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. (laughs) I I do believe God has a sense of humor. Be ready in the morning and then come up on... Mount Sinai, present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain, not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, and he went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining his love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children to the sin, for the sin of the parents and grandparents to the third and fourth generation. And that's where we've been these past eight weeks. And Moses hears God's name, and he sees God's character. So here's Moses, and he sees a bit of God's glory. God passes before him, and he experiences the goodness of God. And do you know what Moses does next? Do you remember? Bam. His knees hit the ground. His face hits the mountain in worship. He doesn't stand. He can't stand anymore. He's in the presence of God. He sees the beauty and the glory of God, and he falls down. And this is actually a quite common experience in the Scriptures, that people experience something of God. Maybe they didn't have a miraculous experience of being truly in the presence of God, the way Moses was here. But oftentimes in the Scriptures, people experience a bit of God just as perhaps you have experienced God through an answered prayer or through the reading of the scripture that really cuts you to the heart and you fall down. This is a common experience. Isaiah experiences God and he says, woe am I, woe is me. I'm an unclean man living amongst unclean, unclean people. The apostle John experiences the resurrected Christ in Revelation 1. You know what he does? Boom, hits the ground. And Jesus invites him to stand once again. Or the transfiguration of Jesus, that James and John and Peter experience Jesus as he actually is, God in flesh, that he's more than a man, more than a prophet, more than a teacher. He's God in flesh, and they experience it, and what do they do? Bam! They fall to their knees in worship. It's a common experience because they encountered one who was worthy of all of their devotion. And I just wanna ask this question. As we think about these common experiences in the scriptures, the question is, what does your heart kneel to? Like, I'm not just talking about your knees. Some of us can kneel down and some of us can't. But what does your heart kneel to? Some of us kneel to money. We may not grovel for it, but some of us, if we're honest, our heart kneels to money others of us, our hearts kneel to what people think and say and the impressions that we get on Facebook or Instagram. Again, we would never say that, but the reality of our heart and how those media platforms can like, pull our heart, pull our emotions, indicates that our hearts kneel to them. For others of us, our hearts kneel to To family and maybe it's the perception that it needs to be a perfect family and friends if your hearts kneel to a perfect family your heart will die because there are no perfect families that's not enough for our hearts to give our total devotion what does your heart kneel to A great young theologian by the name of Thaddeus Williams at Biola University and Talbot School of Theology talks about the importance of worshiping something with enough substance or weightiness to be able to handle all of our worship. And he says for something to have enough substance or weightiness to handle our worship, to be strong enough, if you will, to handle our worship, that something needs to be a first thing, it needs to be a primary thing above other things. Second, it needs to be an unbreakable thing. And number three, it needs to be more like the sun than like a spotlight. Okay, so it needs to be a first thing, a primary thing. So you might say, well, family is a primary thing, Adrian, and I'll give you that. It is a primary thing, but there's lots of other things such as money or my phone or Facebook or Instagram or whatever else that are not primary things, so that would eliminate those. But second thing, it needs to be an unbreakable thing. Whatever we worship needs to be unbreakable. And that would eliminate things such as your nation, your family, or Buddha, or just about anything else. And I'm not trying to offend anyone here, but the simple fact is nations crumble all the time, right? And families do too, right? And Buddha's dead. I'm not making fun in any way, but every other religious leader is dead. Jesus died and then he rose again. Okay? The third attribute is this, that something, for something to be worthy of your full devotion, it needs to be more like the sunshine than a spotlight. And lots of things can put like a spotlight on our lives for a short time. Plenty of other people can put a spotlight on your warts and foibles, can't they? Thank you very much, my friends and family. Like they can, they can. But only God is like the sun that he can put a spotlight on the entirety of your life, that he can illuminate all of your life at all times, bring into the light where we miss the mark and bring into the light that which he knows that nobody else knows, not even ourselves. So he alone is worthy of worship. And what Moses found when he falls to the granite, in worship up here on the mountain is that Yahweh is the only one that is a first thing, that is an unbreakable thing, that shines like the sun on every corner of his dark world, Only that it's only Yahweh that has enough substance to handle our worship. And friends, I, I pray that we would find that as well. We would come back to that on a daily basis, that there is nothing else There is no other identity, there's no other person with enough enough substance, heaviness, power to handle our full devotion. Now Moses made the wise and logical choice there. He decided to worship and so must we. We must decide to love God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength above everything else. I've said it many, many times here in this room, that once we realize that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, that he died a vicarious death for you and me, and that he rose again in glory to justify our free belief in him, once we've actually realized that, once we actually believe in that, we will say, I am willing to give my everything to you, dear God. Like, that will be the logical and the natural decision. That God, if you gave your all to me, how could I not give my all to you? And that is worship. So here's two questions as we wrap up the series. The first one is this. How do I show up for worship on Sunday morning? Psalm 118 says this. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Right? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Like, is that our attitude as we show up for worship on Sunday morning? There's a dear woman in the church that I previously served, an older woman by the name of Sherilyn, a very ordinary, simple woman, but she was a worshiper. And I remember asking her one time, I said, Sherilyn, what, what is it, like, you have such a devotion, such a steadiness, such a consistency in your worship of God when I see you on Sunday morning? And she said to me, Adrian, i got to tell you, my worship on Sunday morning is not dependent on how good or on how bad your sermon is. (laughs) Thank you, Sherilyn. May I have another? (laughs) And she said, Adrian, i got to tell you, my worship on Sunday morning is not dependent on how great the music is. She said, my worship on Sunday morning is dependent on whether I worship God before I got to church on Sunday morning. She'd wake up on Sunday morning and she'd put her hands out to God. And she'd say, Lord, as I go to church today, would you please challenge me? Would you please correct me? Would you please feed me from your word? Would you please give me someone to pray for? Would you please show me today who needs a touch of love? I worship you today. How about that? I want to invite you to consider the same. To show up to church on Sunday morning having already worshiped before you got to church on Sunday morning. Hands out to God. Lord, who do you want me to serve today? It ain't all about me. Who do you want me to serve today for your honor and your glory today? Where would you like to correct me today? And God, I invite you to feed me today. That's question number one, and that's a really important question. How do you show up for worship on Sunday morning? But question number two is probably even a more important question, it goes like this. How do you show up for worship on Monday morning? That's an even more important question, I would say. Now, I love our worship on Sunday morning, but that's a sliver of worship. The bigger part of worship is how we show up on Monday morning, and you know, Sunday morning can give us a really good jolt through great music great worship but the bigger part is how we show up on monday morning listen to the way the apostle paul puts it in colossians chapter 3 verse 7 he says whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the lord jesus christ giving thanks to god the father through him whatever you do in word or deed all of it for him Okay, in case we didn't get the idea, the Apostle Paul gets even more granular in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Even my eating? I want to eat however much fried chicken I want to eat. Or whatever it is for you, okay? I want to drink what I want to drink. Hmm. And you're eating and drinking. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Like the Apostle Paul's theology is this as it relates to worship. My boring eight to five is used for God's glory. My carpool routines are used for God's glory. My Instagram and Facebook is used for God's glory. My hobbies, my kids' sports, my coaching, my teaching. Do you think of that all for God's glory? Like there is nothing in all of creation that we can say, that is mine. I can do that the way I want to do it. I gotta tell you, I did that with a number of areas of life for many years, and that hurt me and it hurt a lot of other people. Don't say any area of your life is yours. It's all for God, it's all for his glory, okay? This is the way we show up for worship on Monday morning. Whatever God has given me, I give it all for you. Now we don't do this perfectly, we know none of us will do it perfectly, but we seek to worship God 100% of the time faithfully. Not perfectly, but more faithfully. I believe what God would have us take away from this message series is a deeper appreciation of who God is and all of his glory as he's revealed himself to us, a more accurate image of who God is, and then second, what it would look like for us to bear his name more faithfully on a day in and day out basis to reflect his beauty more faithfully on a day-in and day-out basis. And there's a couple different ways you can think of that. Like one of it is, like God, because you're faithful, this week I'm gonna be more faithful. God, because you're loving, this week I'm gonna be more loving. And that's a noble response, but I've at least found that that doesn't work very well for me because like the natural man in me is not all that loving. The natural man in me is not all that forgiving. The natural man in me is not all that compassionate. Like, there's a little bit of that in me, but not a ton. How about you? And so a better way to frame it is more like this. God, because you are faithful, and because you've given me the Holy Spirit who now dwells in me through faith in Jesus Christ, I'm asking, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you enable me to be more faithful this week? Through the power of the Holy Spirit in me, would you enable me to forgive that person that I really don't want to forgive? Through the power of the Holy Spirit in me, would you help me to pursue justice or mercy in this situation where it's so difficult for me to pursue justice or mercy? By the power of the Holy Spirit in me, would you help me to be slow to anger the way you, Lord God, are slow to anger? And that's a more gospel-centered response because it's a recognition that while you are made in the image of God and there's some correspondence between these words on the screen and your character, there's not much. No offense. Because there's not much in me either. And so we fall to our knees with dependency on the Holy Spirit who's able to do in us what we could never do in ourselves. And as a result of that, we're able to bear God's name more faithfully for a world that is desperate to see it, for a world that is begging to see it, for a world that frankly is kind of angry at the church when they don't see it. And you know what? The world has a right to be angry. The world has a right to be upset with the church when they don't see that from the church. Because Jesus says that the church is the light of the world. Not any nation, the church is supposed to be the light of the world. And so people around us are actually begging to see these characteristics from you and me. I just want you to ask this question, like through the spirit of God in me, this is what I'm asking God's help to reflect more and more for the world around me. What is it for you over these last eight weeks? What is the attribute of, the aspect of the name of God that you would like to reflect more in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your friendships with people who know Christ and people who don't know Christ. And as you think of that, I want you to write it down. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm asking to reflect more of the character of God. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Adrian Boykin from Carney E. Free. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard on Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.